Father, we've come to the time in this service when we open the Word of God and we glean from its pages and its words the words of eternal life. The disciples said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. God, touch us today as we read and study your Word that we will leave here inspired, healed, blessed, and instructed in Jesus' name. Amen. The traditional Christmas is something that is loved by everyone. I love the Christmas story. Since I was a child, I can remember my dad reading the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, every uh, time when we'd get to Christmas. And uh, the churches back then, we used to put a Christmas tree in, in church and all the Sunday school classes would draw names, and we would get a present for them. And I want to tell you, as a 10-year-old boy sitting in a house and seeing a Christmas tree with presents running out into the aisle and all over the place, boy, what a sight that was to see a Christmas like that. Now, you probably, I don't know if you go far enough back in church and church of God to remember those old Christmas plays that we used to have and, and uh, how we just enjoyed that season. It was much different than it is now. I started to say better than it is now. It probably is better in many respects because Christmas got more of our attention and more of our regard than it uh, holds for us now. We didn't have to compete with so many other things like we do now. And uh, it seemed like Christmas meant more to us uh, at, at that time. The Christmas story is the story of the Savior's birth. For hundreds of years, Israel was told, Unto us a son is given, and unto us a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom and his increase there shall be no end. Even the title of his, his, his name his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Those are terms that we call the Christological materials. Those are those references. And in the Old Testament, they're called Messianic. They are things that talk about the Messiah and His coming. For Jesus is the promised one. He is the one of whom the prophet spoke. He's uh, Elijah's wheel within a wheel. He is the sweet singer of uh, Israel in David's, The Lord is my shepherd. He is the provider when uh, Jacob went down into Egypt to find sustenance. He is all of those things. And in the New Testament, he finds his person in the name of the Word of God, which became the Lord Jesus. Matthew 1.21 says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Our story begins in a little village called Nazareth. Nazareth is in the northern Galilee section. It is not a big city. It is about 60 miles from uh, Jerusalem. It is a, a little town as you would say now as you would drive through it at that time it was a little village and then everyone got their water from a common source there is a well that is there and uh, the bible tells us that this young lady probably about 14 years old went to the well to get water to take back to the family and as she was there she met a personality now, we know him to be Gabriel, who brought her good news. He said, uh, you're highly favored, and the blessing of God is upon you. And he said, that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And speaks about the Lord Jesus, said, his name shall be great, and he will do great, great things for his people. So, Wow, we've got a young lady here who has never been married and uh, who is a virgin, and now she's uh, pregnant with a child, but she's still a virgin. 
For many in the early church community, that was difficult to harmonize with all that they knew about what the Messiah would be. They really looked over into more of a Revelation 19 uh, event where the Bible said, I saw the heaven open and I saw a white horse and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And he said he had a name that only he knew himself and his vesture was as a vesture that is dipped in blood. And uh, the Bible says out of his mouth there went a sharp two-edged sword. And that's the image that the Jewish people were looking for. So when they were told a child is given and a baby instead of a white horse rider with a sword coming out of his mouth, it's a baby, a baby. You're going to have a baby. And that baby will be the Son of God. Wow. The product of the Holy Spirit's working in you. Now, I'm interested to know how Mary must have felt about that. I'm sure that was probably frightening for her to realize that in the culture and in the city and the village where she lived, how people thought about folks that were expecting a child but weren't married. In our culture and society, we accept that more readily than we would have if we lived 2,000 years ago because in that village, that was everybody was pretty knowledgeable about everybody else and had their nose all up in everybody's business. So there was very few things that they didn't know about each other, and it wasn't long before, as our folks say now, she was showing. And the Bible said she had, was espoused to a man named Joseph. I've preached about him many times as being the unsung hero. And boy, did he have a lot of faith. Because the Bible said that same angel went and appeared to him and told him, said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary, thou espoused wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And he said, You are selected to be the earthly father image. Didn't say he was the father, but the fatherly image to the Son of God. Now Matthew records that in a very different way. He, he starts out with what we're going to call the lineage of the Lord Jesus or a retracing of his family tree, as it were. It's found in Matthew chapter 1. If you have reading it or have read it or see it open in your Bible, you'll see there that it goes for about 39 instances and it says so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. Tough preaching material. Hard to preach a, a sermon. A preacher said one time, Randy, he just opened up the Bible and wherever it opened to, he just preached from right there. That God just gave him whatever he opened it to. Well, he fooled around and opened it to Matthew chapter 1. And you ought to have heard that sermon, Mark, on so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. The 39th time... He gets down and he changes the discourse of the entire chapter. It says, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and so-and-so begat. And he gets to him and he says, and Jacob begat Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Now, he's been begatten and begatten and begatten, but he gets to the 16th verse, is it? where he says, and Jacob begat Joseph, didn't say he was anything other than the husband of Mary. Didn't call him the father of Jesus. It didn't continue by saying, and Joseph begat Jesus. Why did the Holy Spirit change his discourse right there and go a different route? Why did he break stride and change and say, Joseph, who is the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Well, that's kind of very interesting, isn't it? That the Holy Spirit would change the discourse of the entire chapter because the Holy Spirit knew better than to call Joseph the father of Jesus. Praise God. 
And when he appeared to him later and gave him instructions on how to go back through Egypt, he said to him, he said, take the young child and its mother and go back through Egypt. Well, why didn't he say, take your family? Or why didn't he say, take your son? Because the Holy Spirit knew better than to call, and that angel knew better than to call Joseph, the father of Jesus. Wow. He said, take the young child and his mother. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is correct when he tells instructions and he says things to you. When he said to him, don't be afraid to take Mary, thou espoused wife, because that that is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. It's a working of the Spirit of the living God. Hallelujah. The Spirit of the living God. So then Joseph is God's earthly representative of Father to the Lord Jesus. Amen. I call him that unsung hero because he made put the logistics of this whole thing together. And the Bible said he did not want to put her away. He put her away privately because he didn't want to make an open show of reproach for her. In other words, he kept on when most would have said, hey, I'm out of this espousal thing. I'm not going to marry you. But the Bible said he followed on and the instructions of the angel to do what God told him to do. Now, something we need to remember about Joseph. Well, let's read it first and then we'll. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Caesar was the ruling of the Caesars. The Augustus was one of those rulers. And the Bible said that at all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. You know what that word Cyrenius means, don't you? It means hard, hard. That meant the events surrounding the Lord Jesus' birth would be hard. And he all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Why do you include lineage? Why didn't he just say he was of the house of David? And how many of you know that Bethlehem is the city of David? If you've been with me to Israel, as most of you, a good many of you have, they will tell you that, the guide will tell you that right off. Bethlehem is the city of David. The city of David. And then he said, because... He was of the house and the lineage. He was of the house meant Bethlehem. That means of the house of. Lehem means bread. Did you know that? L-E-H-E-M, Lehem. And Bet, B-E-T-T, means of the house of. So Bethlehem was the house of bread. And who said, I am the bread of life? The Lord Jesus. So you're seeing the connection here, now the Holy Spirit puts this whole thing together. That he said, he went to the city of David. And that in the city of David, this whole episodic adventure of the redemptive provision was initiated. Initiated because God ordained all of these things before time. And he brought all of these things and he moved all of history to this specific point. How do you know that, Pastor? Because Galatians 4 said, And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made of a woman, made under the law. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? Because that points us back to what happened in the garden in Genesis 3.15 when the Bible told, God told Adam, said, said the, or told the woman that the serpent would bruise the heel and that the 
God would bruise the head of the serpent. So the coming of the Lord Jesus would bruise the head of the serpent. Amen. But the serpent would strike the heel of the Lord Jesus. Well, that's interesting. And he said, the seed of the woman. And that's called the Proto-Evangelium. That is the first mention of Jesus in the Bible. As the seed of a woman. Now you hear, hear about seed of a man, but that's the only instance where you ever hear of the seed of a woman. Wow. Because we know that the reproduction is right the other way around. So then for God to call Jesus, God's Word to call Jesus the seed of a woman, then it lets us know about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. For there was no man that had anything to do with the conception of the Lord Jesus. Praise God that he was born of the Holy Spirit, that man was completely left out of the entire process of his conception. Now, medical science teaches us that not one drop of blood passes from the mother of a child into an unborn child. Wow. So then if Mary's blood, praise God, I get anointed sometimes when I get to talk of this. So if Mary's blood was pure from the blood of humans, if no human had anything to do with the birth of the Lord Jesus, then that means that his blood is separate from our blood. His blood is more powerful than our blood. His blood is so important that it is unique because the Bible tells us that it saves and it washes and it heals and it delivers. My blood and human blood wasn't involved in the birth of the Lord Jesus because unto us a Savior is born and he'll have healing in his wings. Praise God. He's a Savior and he'll save the whole world for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So what we're seeing here in Joseph is a person who was obedient to the command of God and did what God said for him to do. And that took a lot of faith for him to walk as God wanted him to walk and provide for the first family like the Lord wanted him to, to provide for that salvation family. That holy family. Praise God that God had a provision for them. Now, his going back to the city of David and his lineage was of the house of David. What does that mean? That means if he went back to Bethlehem where he was born to pay his taxes, that means that he'd come home or he had come to family. His family lived in Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Bethlehem is the city of David. I'm trying to make this connection. I hope you get it. If Bethlehem is the city of David and Joseph is of the house and the lineage of David, then his family was at Bethlehem. I see some nodding heads. I call those Presbyterian amens. I just want, to, want you to see that they weren't going to a place they didn't know. That they weren't going to a place that was inhospitable. That they weren't going to a place where God would not care for them. And every one of you testified when I took up the offering and said, God takes care of me. And I saw you drive up in a beautiful, shiny car. And I've been to some of your houses. And you'll have to say, He takes real good care of you. So why would He send His Son and put His only begotten Son, a baby, to be born a woman who is about to have a child 
And uh, you women would remind me that's about as helpless as you get. But God was not sending them into a place where he couldn't care for them. He cares for you wherever you go. He goes with you everywhere you go. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. So he's going to take care of you. That wherever he goes with you, you can say, Lord, help me. When Peter was sinking, he said, Lord, help me. And the Lord reached down and picked him up. When the blind man said to him, Lord, help me. He said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam and you'll see. When a leper came to him, he said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus said, I'll help you. Be thou clean. And immediately he was made clean. So that lets me know that whatever needs you have, Jesus is aware of it. And not only is he aware of it, he takes care of it. All your needs shall be supplied according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you know that God loves Jesus? How many of you know that God's going to take care of Jesus? He's going to provide for Jesus. He's going to look out for Jesus because Jesus is his son. And he said, if you being earthly know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father take care of them that love him and supply their needs? So here this young couple is. And so it was that while they were there, somebody say while they were there. While they were there. Well, how long were they there? I thought that they just rode into town and started looking for a hotel. Couldn't find one that had any vacancy. Everyone they went to had a no vacancy. And so there was not any room for them. So somebody loaned them a, a stable. And say they went out where cattle were lowing the poor baby. They thought that was the best they could do. Is to put them in a stable, all the manure, all the nastiness, all of the filth. And Jesus would be born there. Well, I want to tell you why we come to that belief. Around 200 A.D., a couple hundred years after Jesus, there was a lady that wrote a novel, and she told about these experiences, and she influenced many of us today on what we believe about coming, about them coming back into town. For you see, they were coming back into their hometown, weren't they? We just nodded our head and said, Amen, that Bethlehem was the city of David, that Joseph is of the house of David. So he came home to family. And it doesn't tell us how, how long they were there. It just said while they were there. It doesn't tell us that immediately when they rode into town, they started looking for a room. And beside that, didn't... Uh, they have a cousin? Didn't Mary have a cousin? Boy, now y'all are not much Bible readers if you don't know that. If Joseph's family wouldn't say, well, come on over here to our house, stay with us. Well, surely then her cousin, because you remember her name was what? Elizabeth, come on, boy, I'm telling you, I am impressed. You knew who I was talking about. What was her husband's name? 
A few of you kind of question Zacharias. Yeah, you're right. You got it. And you know how he, what happened to him, don't you? Struck dumb. Some of you women said, I wish that angel would get a hold of my husband one of these days and strike him dumb. <laughs> Sorry, that just slipped out. She had a cousin, and the Bible said just a few months earlier she visited with her. And evidently they were real close because she told her, said, uh, well, I, I'm going to have a baby too. <laughs> and that's why her husband went dumb. He said, look, I'm an old geezer. There ain't no way that we're going to have a baby, Elizabeth. That ain't going to happen. And the angel said, you're going to be dumb. I'm glad it was temporary. You don't want to be dumb forever. And said, until the Lord does what he's going to do and that baby is born, said, you'll be dumb. Said, just don't say a word about it anymore. Said, till that happens, you can't talk. Beautiful story. And the Bible said, and when the child was born, this guy that had been writing on a slate, because he couldn't talk, When the baby, John the Baptist, was born, Rocky, they started questioning, well, what will we name him? I imagine some of the family said, let's just name him Zechariah Jr. Zechariah II. Let's just name him Zechariah, because that's your name. We'll name him after you. But the angel had told him, you name him something else. While he still couldn't talk, he got his slate out, and he wrote J-O-A-N. His name shall be John. He's going to be a forerunner of Jesus. He's going to cry out in the wilderness. He's going to be a baptizer. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And the Bible said, and immediately his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak. First thing out of his mouth was, praise ye the Lord. Wow. Well, why in the world when they got into town, didn't they just go over and stay with Mary and Zacharias? They didn't have to go to a stable somewhere or go to some place that was filthy and nasty, they could have just went on over a little while. In fact, the Bible tells us that Zacharias and Elizabeth lived in Judea also and that their village was not very far from Bethlehem. So why did the story go out like it did? Why didn't they just go on over to Zacharias and Elizabeth's house? While they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And there were in the same country shepherds. Well, that's a whole different issue. Shepherds. What are we going to do with shepherds? You know, that's that, them folks, you know, from the bad side of town. We don't really like to talk about those shepherds, you know. They're, they kind of hang out with sheep and goats. And most of the time they smell like a goat. And they're of low degree. They're uneducated. They're kind of uh, misfits. Uh, culturally, we don't invite them to many things. They can't go to temple with us. They're so, so filthy and so nasty that we don't let them come on the temple grounds. Boy, how in the world did shepherds get to such a low degree? Because when David wrote his psalm, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. How did being a shepherd 
get to such a low degree, the lowest people group on the entire structure. It was to the poorest and the most insignificant that angels appeared. And when the angels appeared, it scared them so bad. And there's another fear not. There's three fear nots in the story. Three fear nots in that story. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. The result of that episode was these guys said, Let us go unto Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass. And the Bible said, and they made haste. They got real excited about it. I wonder if we ever make haste to get to God's house. I wonder if we ever get in a hurry and make haste to go to God's house. You see, for us to understand the meaning of that word in, we've got to go to the, to the Word of God. The people in ancient times in the Middle East, they would look at that word in in a different way than we look at it now in our culture. In our culture, in is a hotel. It's a public place. Panda Chionia is the word for a commercial inn. It's the one that is used in Luke 10 when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he said the Good Samaritan was on his way down that same road and he found a man lying in a ditch, wounded and left for dead. Priest went by, the Levite went by, but the Good Samaritan went by, and the Good Samaritan had oil and wine, and he, he dressed the wounds, and he bandaged the guy, and put him on his own beast, and took him. The Bible said he took him to an inn. The word for inn there is pandochiamai, and it's the same word that is given for a commercial inn. When the Bible said in the verse in our text, there was no room for them in the inn, it uses a different word. Catalima. K-A-T-A-L-Y-M-A. Catalima. And it literally means a place of rest. A place of rest. It literally means a guest room. Do you remember when the disciples and Jesus were outside Jerusalem and Jesus said to a disciple, go into the city and said, you will find a man there and said he will have two donkeys one the colt and the other the mother. And he said, tell them that the master has need of them. And he said, go and find the upper room. 
and tell them to make that ready for us to eat the Passover at that upper room. The word is katalima. It means a guest house, a guest room. It's where you would put somebody who stops over one night and you didn't know they were coming, but you had an extra room. So that would be your katalima. You say, that's all Greek to me, Brother Jerry. Yeah, that's true. Because the Greek tells us the original wording as it should be. And, and I know that tears up that whole thing. And I'm going to say right now, I'm not here to defunct Christmas. I mean, there's no heaven or hell issues here. I'm just getting you some things to think about. So that guest room, that upper chamber, many of the houses in the late digs that they do, archaeological digs that they do in Jerusalem, you know, they have to dig down 12 layers in Jerusalem because Jerusalem has been destroyed 12 times. So to get down to the time of Jesus, you've got to peel layer after layer off. And when you get down there, you can see the houses that were prominent during that time. And most of them had one big family room. And isn't this crazy? I don't know how they did this. But the whole family ate, slept, everything right in that one big family room. It was the biggest room they had. There was another attachment to that room, that family room. It usually dropped down about four or five feet. And there was an area there that was called a guest room. It was an area where people would come. Number one, because in the Levitical law, he said, take care of the strangers. He's very, very keen. The lawgiver is very keen on doing things that are hospitable. And that village in Bethlehem was very concerned about their reputation of being hospitable. So then it's more than likely that this house had a visiting place or all the houses in the village had a, had a guest room. And then on the other end of the house, there would usually be attached a stable. Now here's something these people did in the Middle East. They would take their animals and they would bring them inside at night into the family room. Wow. Number one, because it was cold. Number two, because somebody might steal them. Several reasons, and they brought them inside. And they would care for them and feed them, and they would hew out into the stones mangers so that the stock could eat at, at night when they got in there. Wow. It was interesting that they called it a manger and that they were in the family room of every house. So it could be that instead of a wood box with crisscrossed and boards, it could be that that manger was a dug-out place in that family room for them to feed their animals with. Boy, I'm blowing some people's mind away today about Christmas. I don't mean to cause you any harm at all. I'm just trying to get you to think a little bit, okay? And the fact that the Bible said Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, in, in the Middle East, they wrap babies like that it, it's very similar they wrap babies and they also wrap dead people don't you remember when Jesus they thought was in the tomb and the women came to anoint his body they bandaged up almost as the Egyptians would mummify but they wrapped, and they called grave clothes. Do you remember when Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb? And when he came out of the tomb, they said, 
take the grave clothes off of him. You remember that? All right, give me that Presbyterian amen again. I've got you in some deep water and you're, you're treading. So then in, in their custom, they would wrap a, a baby and would put it in that soft straw and then would cover it with a blanket. So then what are these shepherds rolling all of this? Come on, Olivia, and help me quit. I think I've bewildered a bunch of them. These shepherds, how do they play into this? The Bible said, let us make haste and go unto Bethlehem and see this thing which the angel has told us. The first people that ever received a gospel message were shepherds. First ones to ever get the gospel preached to them. For unto us, unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And they said, let's go and see. But the angel said, here's, here's a sign. Said, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Woo. Hallelujah. Why would God call the lowest of the low and the most insignificant, uneducated, poor, dejected folks that were denied entrance into the temple? In other words, Susan, they couldn't go worship. And God said, I'm going to fix it so you can worship. And I'm going to do it for the most extreme case, and that's shepherds. So that when they arrived at the place of the Lord's birth, the Bible said, we have come to worship Him. We've come to see what the angel told us about and gave us a sign. And when they went in, the Bible said, and they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. What was the sign? The sign was God was saying, don't you see that this Savior is just like you? It's a human body. This Savior is lying in a manger. This Savior is wrapped in swaddling clothes just like you do your babies. This Savior that you have come, the announcement was given by the angel concerning His birth. And you've come to see the Savior, and we want you to know He's a human just like you. For John started his gospel just like Moses started Genesis. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, says Genesis 1.1. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 14th verse said, And the Word was made flesh, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten Son of God. Praise God. From that time on, when the Bible said after they had seen him, the Bible said they returned, went back to their field, went back to where they were, and the Bible said, praising God for the things which they had seen and heard. That's what this Christmas is about for us. We've seen the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and realized his potential to change our lives and realize his potential to save and to take us to God opened up doors of worship for us so that we can worship because in time past we couldn't worship, but now we can because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a worthy of all acceptation statement, Paul said, that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Praise God. Well, 
I'll pick up here somewhere next Sunday with some people you call wise men. And they brought gifts. What were their gifts? Way to go, Susan. You get an A. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we assume then there was three of them, right? Based upon what we... Three, three gifts, three people. That's a pretty postcard. Don't know how many there was. But they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Got a question for you. You're going to have to come back next Sunday to find out. What happened to that gold, frankincense, and myrrh? If all of a sudden, overnight, they were rich and had been poor, and now you got gold, and now you got frankincense, and now you got myrrh. Well, the unsearchable riches of the glorious gospel is great wealth. Great wealth. And when God gives us great wealth, He expects us to do something with it. We'll find out next Sunday. Stand with me, please. Well, we got Christmas kicked off today. I, I really kind of opened some of your eyes. You looked at me in a weird way several times. That novel that was written 200 A.D. talked about the things that we have come to believe that Christmas is. But don't let anybody put anything on you about Christmas but what the Bible says. What the Bible says. Let God's Word be the truth and everybody else be wrong. Right? Make Jesus Lord. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. For He alone is worthy. For He alone is worthy. For He alone is worthy. Christ the Lord will give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. Christ the Lord. Amen. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let every heart Prepare Him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders of his love. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be in your house today. Thank you for reminding us once more that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you for our wonderful privilege that we have to know and have fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you for this holiday season when we celebrate the incarnation of God's only begotten Son. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, Heavenly Father. And thank you for all that he means to us and all that he is to us. We ask you to dismiss us from this place not from your care and your keeping. Bring us back together without the loss of a person. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. Got communion this morning. Well, you go all the way from the birth to the death.
You know, the Bible tells us that he was rich. We call it the humiliation of Christ. He was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might be made rich. He traded places with us, Jeanette. He was rich, but he became poor. That we might be rich. He gave his life a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Hebrews says, but this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. Forever. That means there will never be another Calvary. God has once and for all time settled the issue of sin. And he took the bread and he broke the bread and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. In like manner he took the cup and when he had given thanks he said, take ye and drink ye all of it for this is my blood which was shed for you. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink your cup, this cup, ye do show forth the Lord's death until He comes. This do in remembrance of me. Thank you, God. Bless your name. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body that was riven. We love you. We're looking for you to come back. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.